Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Wide Podcast. I'm your host, Corey. It's been a minute, my friends. Um, went on a little vacation, uh, took some time off to kind of regroup, reassess, uh, look at a few things here on what I'm going to do with the future of the podcast. And I, myself, even hired a personal coach. Now, this is more so to do with health and wellness and then also um, someone that is a little bit more experienced with me um, with uh, CrossFit space. And you guys, I'm going to I'm gonna make sure I talk to them before I actually announce who it is. <laughs> Just see, make sure it's okay if I tell you guys. Um, I, this person doesn't take a whole lot of clients. And, and um, so I don't want to like flood their DMs if they're not looking to get exposure. So uh, someone that has a, a real high... Um, BS meter, if you will, someone that's going to challenge me and, and that is very well read, uh, similar to me that is going to challenge me on some of the answers that I give. Uh, I'm very quick to get to a solution versus analyzing the path at which I get there. And so this person would be someone that would help me get to that point. So I'm excited about it. It should be interesting. And uh, I just, I, I really don't know what to expect, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty excited to kind of see what's going to happen with it. So I'll keep you guys abreast to uh, what that progress looks like and uh, what else might come out of that. I still have quite a few questions. Um, I had a group of people, um, the testifiers, that did send quite a few questions in. So I do have enough for a few more episodes uh, uh, that is just anxiety-based. But as I'm getting into this, uh, I'm getting closer towards that uh, one-year mark. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm about three months out from one year. But it's evolving, and you know, it, it might turn into more of lifestyle talk and just life in general. And so if there's stuff in other arenas other than anxiety that you'd like to um, submit questions for, please do so. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to talk about that kind of stuff too. So what's going on right now? Um, we've had a couple of weeks of the CrossFit Open. Um, I was actually able, to, able to, to participate in the last two workouts, even though I had that PRP shot done on my knee. And uh, the first one was just burpees and and ground overhead, which I, I scaled the weight because it was super light uh, and just focused on um, pacing. And that's kind of my, my new uh, outlook for this season of my CrossFit journey is pacing and becoming a master of pacing. Well, I shouldn't say master. I hate that word, but being better at looking at the clock and sticking to a game plan versus just going as fast as I can trying to beat everyone or as heavy as I can trying to beat everyone. So... Um, the first one was terrible. I felt like I was going to barf the whole time, um, even starting in round one, but uh, made it through. Uh, I was hoping to get five rounds, and I think I got into round nine or into round eight. I'm not quite sure, but I surpassed my goal, stuck to my pacing, and uh, did the other one here today, actually, the 20.2. And I, I had not squatted um, below parallel and this would be five weeks now um, since my PRP, and it went well. I, I got 11 rounds, and I quit with like two, a little over two minutes left and just kind of took it easy. It was getting a little sketchy towards the end. Like I said, I hadn't been squatting, so I wasn't quite sure. Um, I ended up doing RX and just maintaining my own pace, and I'm uh, pretty happy with it. So if you're out there crossfitting, uh, going after the open workouts, you know they suck. I can definitely feel 20.2 in my quads, and that's really about it. Um, pretty good with uh, the weight on the thrusters, uh, the squatting. Like I said, I haven't been doing it, so that's probably going to blow me up here for the week. But um, double unders, I'm pretty good at, and then toast to bar was only six of them, so it wasn't wasn't too terrible. But pretty happy with that. Um, 
kind of going back to the personal coaching thing, I want to, I want to talk about this because I've had a couple of phone calls, um, with them. And one thing that came out of it, and I want to share this with, with you guys too, is, is because it's important that, um, the way you guys look at me and, um, there's a tendency to put someone like me on a pedestal, but I still struggle. And the one thing that came out of the, um, first chat was I'm quick to, um, lose hope. And I'm, I'm trying to explain this so it doesn't, I don't get too far down the rabbit hole, but with what I've been through physically and then also with my, my, uh, mental health, it's easy for me to just say, screw it. Um, or just say, well, it's not as bad as it was. So I can just, I try to justify it and just say, well, you know, it's not as bad as it was. So I don't really want to care about it. But deep down, I do care. Like I, I want to feel good both physically and mentally. And I've always put on my values, family as number one. And talk, uh, talking through some things is we, we rearranged it to health and wellness as number one, because those things that are uh, um, also on my values, values list are affected by my health and wellness. Um, being that I do, do lose hope or being that it does, my mind-body connection is so strong that if I don't feel good physically, mentally, I, I really struggle. And that's the epitus for my anxiety was I had a lot of physical stuff going on that created all this anxiety. And I, if you haven't um, listened to some of the earlier shows, my anxi- my panic attacks started when I was getting MRIs. Um, I had some people in my life that had, had gotten cancer, one of which was my older brother, which he's still in remission, thank God. He's uh, 47 now. Um, he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I was getting these MRIs, and I, it was at the time when we did not know that I had a broken neck. And so so I, I created all these stories in my head of, of the worst of the worst. And so that's kind of where um, my mental health connection to my body started. And so now, um, actually just with, within the first few times meeting with my coach, we, we rearranged that, that if I can get those other things in line, if I can continue to work on my health and wellness, both physically and mentally on a daily basis, it's going to make everything else better. And so, you know, I always talk about like making sure that you're taking care of yourself first and then everything else will take care of itself. And it's hard to do when you're struggling. It's hard to do even being down the road like I am. And that's why it's okay to ask for help. I went to someone that has a lot more time under tension, tension, um, bigger scale, um, same concepts, but just in a different um, arena. Um, They're very well connected in the CrossFit community. They're someone that um, has started... um, I'm trying to try not to give it away, but they have, a, they run large events. Um, they're very well connected. They have a very big box and, um, they, they do a really good job of, of um, kind of cutting through the cookie cutter, ans- cookie cutter answers that I can, I can sometimes give and without like doing it on purpose to, to avoid a subject. It's just, that's, that's how my brain works. And you guys have noticed that throughout the podcast is that it just, I get to a solution really quick before evaluating like, well, how do I break that cycle? And so for you guys, um, just like it's a habit for me to get to the answer and the solution, anxiety is a habit. Now, it's, it's hard to accept that fact that it's a habit that you've created for yourself. Not um, making light of what may have happened to you to cause that, 
but the habit is the thought process behind the life event. It's not necessarily that you're intentionally doing it, but it becomes so habitual that we can't break that cycle. It's like smoking. And imagine it like your anxiety is like smoking. Anytime you smell it, wherever you go, you know what it is. Anywhere you go and you feel it, you know what fear is, right? It's just boom. It's it's so connected and ingrained in you. You know exactly what it is when you feel fear. Um, when you try to quit smoking, it's such a, you know, you're kind of addicted physically. Um, and anxiety, you're addicted mentally. And unintentionally. It's not something you intentionally do. And I want you to make sure that you understand that. It's not. I'm not saying that you're doing this to yourself. Because I hated when people said that to me. Once you get down the road and heal, you figure out that, yeah, that's a little bit true, but it's not malicious. It's not a malicious statement. It's just, it's a reality. It's like you get in this habit of thinking a certain way, feeling a certain way, and you kind of run that loop. It's the merry-go-round of hell. Fear is the merry-go-round of hell, and, and we become habitualized in that, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it, <laughs> in that space. And um, it's just like quitting smoking. You have to figure out a way to hack into that habit and change it, which is doable. Like, and that, and that was a turning point for me as I figured out it was a habit. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm going to approach it that way. And that was just what, was what, what worked for me. Not necessarily saying that worked for you, but I'm, I'm just trying to relay some information that, that really helped me out. So I hope that helps. That was a super long intro. It's almost 10 minutes in already, and I haven't even gotten to a question. So I'm sorry about that. So I'm going to try to address some of these questions here and not take too long on them. But if you guys need some follow-up on this and um, would like more information, please shoot me a DM or shoot me an email at anxietywad at gmail.com. Um, I, I will get back to you um, with the progression of what the show is going to become. Um, I haven't really pulled the trigger on it yet because I'm waiting for some more feedback from people. Um, if you'd like me to keep going on anxiety, uh, please let me know. Um, submit questions, keep sending them in, and uh, we'll keep going from there. All right, so question one here is, submitting for my mom um, this is related to parenting a teenager with anxiety and there's there's three sets of questions here and I'll try to get to all three of them what do I do when I know my daughter is struggling but she is pushing me away and I, I mentioned this before too is that uh, it's very I understand it more now as a parent than I did when I was going through it myself but the thing that we want to do as parents is we want to help and in our minds helping is fixing the problem and that's how we've brought you up. That's how we have handled your whole life up until a certain point that we've fixed the problem for you. You know, in between there, we'll teach you things on how to deal with it yourself. But it's not not our first priority. Like we don't like seeing our children in pain. And so it's a natural instinct to want to fix the problem rather than um, teaching you how to think. Now, for a parent... Knowing that your person, your your kid is pushing you away, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow that you are not the person they trust enough to talk to it about. I'm going to try to rephrase that. You're not the person that they trust the most to talk about this with. But there is a remedy, is asking them questions on how you can become that person. You know, you got to let your feelings aside because if you truly care about your child, you can't bring your own feelings into it because A, it's going to continue to um, have them push you away or B, it's going to make their anxiety worse. When you add emotion into anxiety, it creates this um, 
it, it exponentially increases for people. That was mine. When people got emotional with me, I'd get pissed off, which would crank up my anxiety. And so number one is, is kind of swallow your pride and be like, okay, I'm not that person for them. Then start working on asking questions. What do you need? How can I help? How can I be that person that you trust to talk to this about? Um, educate yourself too as a parent like there's so much information out there on anxiety that just having some knowledge base rather than trying to suggest that they just stop worrying which is going to be the worst thing you can do but they're pushing you away for a reason if you can research what need is not being fulfilled for them you're probably going to figure out why they're pushing you away the need more than likely is that their thinking is broken and um, I just actually talked to somebody about this when you explain anxiety to a child is that you use a light switch and say, okay, when the light goes on, let's pretend that's fear. Uh, and this works well for kids because when the light goes off, they always attribute that to something scary. So I do it with a light on. And so when you flip it down, fear goes away. Like when someone scares you, you flip the light switch off, your fear goes away eventually. Well, someone with anxiety, their light switch is broken. And so they can't turn it on and off. It just comes up when the light turns on, when they don't want to, and they can't turn it off. And so just that knowledge base of, of knowing that the thinking, the broken part of the thinking of that analogy is the light switch. And knowing that your child can't just turn this off. But what you can do is you can teach them to rebuild that light switch by providing um, a steady shoulder to lean on versus being that person that builds it for them. Or shows them how to build it. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. Okay, and then the second part of this one is uh, if, if that person is in the hospital for anxiety or su suicidal ideation, do you have tips on how I should better support her or talk to her? And, you know, I don't have really a whole lot of experience with, with um, hospital stays. But I can imagine that if I was going in to see my child, I, wanted, I would want to know how... I can help um, prevent this from happening again. Whatever that may, be, that may be. Be like, you know, obviously I'm not the person that you can talk to about this. I want to be that person. But what do you need right now to A, feel safe, B, feel heard, and C, like help you heal? Like what are those three things that you need? Because I'm going to get them for you. I'm not here to judge you. I, I'm, I'm heartbroken that I'm not that person for you, even though I want to be. How can I help you? And it, it, going back to that first part of this question is that you have to swallow your ego. You know, it's going to be heartbreaking to know that your child doesn't trust you enough to talk to you about this stuff. But that's kind of what kids do. Like I was that way, like having a hard time talking to my parents when I was a teenager too. Now I probably would have saved myself a lot of hurt and pain and anguish if I would have just talked about it. But I didn't know that. I was a teenager. I thought I knew everything. But just figuring out, okay, how can I help? I, I know that I'm not that person right now. I want to be. I don't want to judge you. I, I love you. Number one, make sure you let them know that they're loved, even though they did something like this, because they're going to feel guilty. They're going to feel ashamed. They're going to feel embarrassed. You know, there's so many emotions going through it that, like, how, basically, how can I help? Whatever that may be. If it's not talking to me, can I help you find someone to talk to? 
They may not be ready right now, but then try again the next day. How can I help you? I want to help you. I don't know how. I know it may not be me that you need to talk to, but who can we get to help you talk, like figure this stuff out? What else do you need? You know, just be open to the fact that you're, you may not be that person that they need right now, but you can be that support person no matter what. And support may look like you're not really involved in the situation, which is scary. But I'm trying to think of, <clears throat> obviously I'm out of breath because I haven't podcasted in a while here, but, um, the, the other possible outcome for this is that it's going to bring you and your child closer together because they might see that human in you versus the parent in you and say, I really do care. Like come from a genuine spot of caring saying, I don't know how to help you. And they're going to be like, hmm, interesting. You know, this, this facade of the parent role has just, you know, the, the curtain has been lifted and you see the, the wizard behind the curtain, you know, and so it's going to bring you closer together. And if nothing else, as a parent, it's going to take care of you a little bit, but it's going to show the person that is hurting, that's in the hospital, that's struggling, struggling, that's having suicidal tendencies, that you're more human than they expected. So it's a kind of a win-win that way. Okay. Number three here, what will I do when it's time for this person to go to college when I know she is already struggling? Um, I, I, my struggles came after college, so this will be kind of just suggestions more than actual knowledge. Um, but I would, as a parent, I would research information and provide information on areas of support in college. Now, college is crazy, and if you don't, like I, I played college football and college basketball. And so it was, it was just nuts. Like college, like we lived in the party house and yeah, a lot of stories that way. But, um, depending upon the person, I don't really know the story behind all of this, these questions, but so these are going to be suggestions. There's campus mental health. There's off campus mental health. There's, um, counselors in the area. There's support groups. There's helplines. There's online forums. There's all kinds of information. All you have to do really is provide them the information if they are struggling and get that to them. They can choose what to do with it. But at that time is the time you have a conversation with them saying, I am always going to be here for you no matter what time, no matter when, no matter how you need it. I am here for you. Simply saying that knows that they have a solid foundation to fall back onto when times get hard. Because they're going to. Like, you think that you have this this idea of what college is going to be, and it is nothing like high school. I tell you that. Like, there was so much structure and so much ritual and so much habit in high school that when I went to college, all that was thrown out the door. I had no idea what I was getting, in, getting into. And someone with ADD, like, like, this little box that I fit into in high school was completely shattered. And so just having that knowledge of where the support is is going to be something that you can help them with. Don't force it on them. Don't say, Hey, you have to call these people. I want you to do this. I'm not, you know, don't set up like therapy sessions for them. If they ask you to, yeah, hundred percent, but don't force it on them because what that does is like question one, it's They're going to push you away. Unfortunately, anxiety is done on the terms of the person with the anxiety, both healing and helping. Like if you're someone with anxiety, it's gonna it's gonna be you that has to fix it. Now people can offer support, 
Um, it's like it's like uh, when you watch those Tough Mudder runs when people will lift you up over the obstacle. Like people can lift you up, but you still have to climb. That's how you get out of anxiety. You're gonna have to climb for your life, but it's doable, little by little, continual effort over time. Like I always say, but it's doable. So I hope that helps. Yep, provide information as much as you can, and at that point, say hey, whatever, however, whatever time. Whatever time you need me, I'm there. Call me. I'll drive up. I'll fly out wherever they're going to school. Make sure they know that no matter what happens, if their mental health gets to a point where it gets the better of them, you're going to be there for them. All right. On to the next. So here we go. Uh, where'd it go? Okay. Uh, this is regarding a husband with anxiety. How do I connect with him when he is going through so much of his anxiety and pain? Now, uh, I'm guessing like a, a mental pain. To say, well, it might be physical pain. Okay, so that's something I know a lot about, um, being someone that's had chronic pain for most of my adult life. That, um, it's torture, honestly, mental torture, and especially if it's something that's debilita- debilitating, like um, like nerve pain. And I, I don't know what, what exactly this person's going through, but um, what I would say is try to try to offer up, and, and this is simply for the, the pain aspect, is try to offer up a better way of life. And what, I, what I'm meaning by that is, is do some research on the effects of gut health with chronic pain. Now, this may be something completely off that, but your gut health will make certain types of pain better. Now, depending upon what the ailment is, um, it may not give, offer that much support, but you're going to feel better, and then only it's only the pain. But if you have, and so what? I'll just explain what happened to me. I had I had osteoarthritis in my hips, and it would radiate throughout my body. I didn't realize it at the time how bad it was until I actually had my hips fixed. Um, for a while there. Uh, we we didn't really take care of ourselves like we do today, and so I was eating terrible, and there was just it would it would go from my hips to my knees to my ankles to my elbows to my neck and back and forth, and so once I learned a little bit more about um, you know the your gut health, I was able to uh, extinguish some of that inflammation and in my other joints, and it would just simply be left to my hips. So it may not sound like a solution, but if everything hurts, it's even worse. And so I was at the point where everything hurt. And so I started to take care of my, my gut health and my nutrition and um, researching things like Kratom and, and CBD oil and, and Epsom salt baths and ice baths and um, whatever, heat, heat shock proteins and, and ice, ice showers and all that stuff and meditation. <laughs> and I could keep going on. All the stuff that I do, I started from the, the want to get out of physical pain. And so offer to learn that stuff and do that stuff with your husband. And so that's going to create a connection because, you know, he's not going to want to do it. And, and I laugh because I remember the first few times I got into the ice bath, it was terrible. But if you're going to do it with him, it's going to create a little bit of excitement. And if he's someone with chronic pain, that's not something he has a lot of excitement. But if you're like, hey, I'm going to, I want to get healthy with you. Let's and you can be the the strong support system for them. Is piggyback them and say, hey, I'm going to do this with you. I'm not going to enjoy it, but we can have fun with it. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a chore to take care of yourself. 
and, and that's physical and mental. You can have fun with it. Like, and it may not seem logical, but it's okay to laugh at yourself from time to time. Like I remember there was times where I would be laying in bed, um, being so scared that I was going to die that night. And then the next minute I'd be like, well, you're not going to know if you die. So what's the big deal? And I would laugh at myself. Now that doesn't sound constructive, but it was, it was my, not really survival technique, but it was my way to kind of extinguish the seriousness that I was thinking that I was in. Now there was nothing wrong with me physically. It was all mental that I created the story that I was going to die because all I knew was chronic pain and people around me dying. But it was an irrational thought, so I had to give it an irrational reaction, which was laughter. And so, like, like this is this is something my wife and I have been through, where I remember um, after my, I think it was my first hip surgery, the, the pain medication would give me really bad hives, so I couldn't take it. And so I was in an extremely bad pain. And I remember her having to help me from our bed to get to the toilet and I would sweat through my sweatshirt with a t-shirt underneath sweatpants on because that was the only thing I could really wear that was comfortable and you could see sweat marks through them just from getting I think it was about 15 feet from our bed to the toilet and just that little act created a bond you know she she was helping me out to get through this chronic pain and you know my wife's an OT and she worked in long-term care um, a setting. And so she was, she was used to that kind of thing, but it was, it was a very, um, nurture. I don't know if nurturing is the right word, but like it just, it felt good to have her be a part of what I was going through and, and encouraging me to get to the point where I needed to be. Um, you know, that's just kind of her nature. She's kind of a, a caretaker and, and she's, I'm not going to start getting into that cause I'll start crying, but, <laughs> um, you know, it was just, it was a cool bonding experience, but then there, we would have times where like, um, I'd be saying I would I would get into the shower finally after going to the bathroom and I'd be standing there just bawling and sobbing and uh, I, I just I, like I can't do this anymore and I can't do this anymore and she really didn't have much to say other just than just asking how can I help and that was enough and you know there's other times that I, I remember Jesus was the worst one when I was 28 and I had my tonsils out I'm kind of going off on pain stuff here but like I could like you have your tonsils out and you swallow every seven to 10 seconds. And so as soon as that starts healing, it'll crack open. And so each time you swallow your, your healing cracks open a little bit and it was torture. And it, it finally wore me down. I'm a, I'm very strong, like headed, like I'm able to take a lot of physical pain, but it broke me down. I was crying in the kitchen and she just came and gave me a hug. And so those are the things you remember is the little, little like things of support that, that your significant other offers but not necessarily fixes the situation. And I, I keep repeating that, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings that thinking that they have to fix the solution. But um, just like anxiety, you have to focus on the things that you can control. And more than likely, you're not going to be able to control the situation of someone else's anxiety, unless you're the person causing it, like a parent causing anxiety for your child by how judgmental you are, or how involved you are or how demanding you are or telling them that they, why don't they just stop worrying or those type of things. Um, but understanding that you don't have control in a situation, but you can offer support. And so ask him questions 
on things that he might want to try. Like have a list of things that, that he can try. Like if you want to rewind and go back to those things I listed is those are some things that are really try out. And like I said, I don't really know what the ailment is. Um, but take interest in helping him heal. However that looks to you guys. And with the anxiety aspect of it, I'm, I'm sure he's freaking out about, um, how he feels, you know, ask him how he feels and let him vent. Don't try to like offer solutions or offer even advice. Be like, I'm here to listen. Like what vent to me? Like, and I, I, this is something that I need to work on with my wife too. She just likes to vent. Now it's kind of a catch 22 because I don't, I don't like to buy into when people are just venting to vent because it really doesn't benefit you. And it just, I don't know. I won't go down that road because she'll probably get upset with me that I'm talking about on the podcast, but like just venting to vent, it doesn't really benefit you. You know, it's just kind of, it kind of can get habitual where it turns into gossip and then you talk about this negative um, aspects of your life and which she's gotten way better at doing it. This was early on in our marriage, but um, learning how to have difficult discussions with your significant other, whether it's pain, anxiety, emotions, um, another good suggestion just that just popped into my brain here is look into the four love languages is figure out how each one of you express, um, your love, whether it's gifts, um, touch, words of affirmation or quality time. Um, once you know what your significant others is, you can kind of hit on those from time to time and make sure that they know from you that you are loved, even though you can't fix their situation. And so I hope that helps, you know, and it, this is something I really know a lot about. So if you do want to shoot me some more questions in this arena, I can, I can definitely go on a little bit longer about this. Um, but yeah, that chronic pain thing's tough. And, and if, if your husband is open to it, he can definitely connect with me as well. Um, I can offer some, some hip help tips. Um, but definitely look into your nutrition and definitely look into different ways you can, um, look at recovery and, uh, yeah, that one really hits home. You know, I, I'm trying not to flash back into some of the, the stuff I've been through because it's it's very visceral when I when I get to it because the pain was was really 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 extreme. And I don't know, I don't want I don't want to like have you guys pity me at all. It's just it made me a very strong person mentally. Um, but if you haven't had um, that kind of pain, there's a whole nother level of pain in life that I pray to God that none of you have to um, go through. It's, it's just, you think that spraining your ankles bad or hitting your toe or, you know, cutting yourself, but there is a whole nother level of pain in the world. And I pray that you guys never have to go through that. Now, mental pain is, um, is very hard, especially when you, you are stuck there and you're stagnant and each time you kind of level up and heal a little bit, you will get to that point that you get stagnant. And you feel like you're not going anywhere. And like, just like me is, I, I was like, I don't know what this, what the feeling is, but I just feel stuck. And as soon as I, I said that out loud to myself, I'm like, I wonder if I need to hire a coach. Cause I knew it, like, I've been to therapy four times now. I think it is total that, you know, it's like, I kind of know like the, what, what would happen there. And it's like, that's not really what I need. I just, I feel stuck and I need to get unstuck. And so that's why I hired a coach. And so, um, yeah, it, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm pumped for that. But anywho, uh, I think that's good for this episode. We're over 30 minutes here um, due to my long intro. But 
if you guys have any more questions, please submit them. Um, I will continue to hit on these questions from you testifiers out there. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Um, please holler if you have any more questions on anything I touched on today. And have yourself a peaceful morning, afternoon, or evening. Keep coming back, guys. We're going to figure this out. We'll see you.